A new report has some good news about the education workforce in Illinois, but it also highlights some warning signs. We'll talk about that on this edition of Capital Cast. Hello and welcome to Capital Cast, a regular podcast of Capital News Illinois. I'm Peter Hancock. The education advocacy group Advance Illinois has a new report out this week that offers a detailed look into the state's educator workforce and how it was impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Overall, it says the workforce weathered the pandemic pretty well. Most schools were able to retain their teachers, principals, paraprofessionals, and other educators, and some were even able to expand, thanks in large part to billions of dollars in federal disaster relief money. But not all school districts are the same, and some are having a harder time maintaining adequate staff levels than others. To learn more about the report, I spoke with Robin Staines, the president of Advance Illinois, and I started off by asking her why it's important to keep track of school staffing levels. I hope one of the main takeaways that people have when they read the report is this is really critical for children. There's literally nothing more important that we do as a state than to make sure that we've got effective teachers in every classroom in front of every child. And if we get that wrong, if there are gaps, if there is churn, if there is attrition, um, all of those things negatively affect kids. And on top of that, we know that when there is churn, when there are vacancies, they don't tend to be evenly distributed. They tend to be inequitably distributed so that our students who are from low-income households, underrepresented minorities, rural districts, urban districts, bear the brunt of that. And so if we know this is the most important thing we can do for kids, if we know that when we have gaps or challenges, they are inequitably distributed, then we've got to get it right. And the best place to start for getting it right is understanding what's working, what's not, where is the need, where are we making improvements, what kind of investments are needed, what kind of investments when we make them make the biggest difference, because we've got scarce resources. And so for me, for Advance Illinois, it begins with understanding the data, what it's telling us, and therefore the path that it suggests we really need to work work on. Okay, so when I look at the most recent state report card, uh, it's statewide, the student-teacher ratio is about 17 to 1 for elementary, uh, 18 to 1 for secondary education. Those are pretty good numbers, Uh, certainly lower than any classes I ever had in elementary or high school. Uh, But you're saying that's you know, within that, that there's a, a wide range um, from those are just averages. Uh, where do you see those the biggest? Yeah, where do you see the biggest uh, the biggest areas of concern? Is it urban schools, remote rural schools? Uh, where's the greatest I, concern? The challenge are in a couple of ways, but let me first pause on what you started with, which is there's good news in here. So this report, I think, one of the things that If you've just read the headlines, you think, oh, my gosh, we're just losing teachers hand over fist. In fact, we've been adding positions, adding teachers. So we have hired more teachers. We've hired more assistant principals. Um, We've opened more paraprofessional positions, though we've got, obviously, significant vacancies there. And so those numbers are looking better 
um, you know, the those student-teacher ratios are looking better because we have been in a position uh, as a state to add add teachers. So that's good news, and I, it's at least worth pausing on that before we get to some of the bad news. Um, I think the areas of ongoing concern are that one, about half of our districts uh, have vacancies and continue to. Those do tend to be more rural. Those do tend to be more urban. Those do tend to be districts that have higher uh, numbers of students from low-income households and English learners and um, underrepresented minorities. I will also say that there is a secondary problem, which is more particular, which is across multiple regions. We have a significant shortage of special education teachers and bilingual teachers. And that's been ongoing. That was true before the pandemic. It has not improved um, in the teeth of the pandemic. And that continues to be a real concern going forward for the state. So it's both certain areas that have a harder time and then very particular areas, which bilingual special education should worry us all because that's it's more particular. And those are students that really um, absent those in, uh, instructors who have that kind of training are really going to take a, a much harder academic social emotional hit. Okay, and special ed and bilingual, those have been shortage areas for decades uh, nationwide. Um, what I, what also struck me about the report was the declining number of substitutes that are available and paraprofessionals. It seems like the pandemic really took a toll on those two areas. Do you have any idea why? You know, it's hard to know. I think that is that tracks with some of what we're seeing in other sectors of the economy. We're getting beyond my areas of expertise, but I think the people who are more on the minimum wage end of the spectrum, um, that's just been more of a crunch. And I think part of the response to that is going to need to be to um, increase compensation and other kinds of work-related benefits, which is a challenge, is going to be a challenge, I think, for districts as they hit this what's, you know, this Esser cliff, this cliff where federal money is going to start to go away. And so I, I think that that is a challenge currently, and I think that could get worse in the next few years. We're going to be watching really closely the next two years of data, um, because what we're seeing in some other states is that we're not alone in having weathered the pandemic better than people expected. But some states that have released their data from this last year uh, earlier than we have are starting to see vacancy rates start to go back up. So that will be true for substitutes and paraprofessionals, but there's, there's a danger it's also going to start to, to go back up for teachers as well. Okay, you mentioned ESSER, E-S-S-E-R. Uh, can you remind us what that stands for? So these are the emergency funds that the federal government, they put out tranches of federal relief funds designed to help states and districts and schools deal with the impact of COVID and the last big tranche, which is ESSER, the emergency dollars, and I'm forgetting what ESSER stands for, shame on me, um, are going to be um, expiring within the next 12 months or so. So this is going to be the last year where districts and the state have the ability to use those dollars. Okay, and Illinois, last I checked, got somewhere close to $8 billion in that is right. ESSER funds, and the biggest portion of that was used for salaries. Um, so do we think when that money goes away, there, uh, there are going to be um, staff reductions, uh, layoffs? 
the districts you know, do too much hiring? It's hard. We took a look at that. It's hard to know for sure. It's certainly, you know, superficially you'd look at that and say, well, we've used a lot of those funds for salaries, so presumably we're going to have to lay a bunch of people off. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, because if you look at the number of new positions that were added during the COVID period, the costs of that are actually within the bounds of the state additional, you know, EBF or state school formula dollars that went out to schools. Schools have gotten federal dollars, but the state has also continued to make good on its commitment to put 300 million additional dollars into the state's new, more equitable funding formula every year. Actually, it skipped one year during COVID, Um, but it has otherwise made good on that. And the cost of keeping those additional positions in place is within the bounds of the new dollars that have gone out from the state. And those are reliable year-over-year dollars which is why they're so important, right? Districts can make long-term staffing and other decisions when they get those increased state dollars in a way they can't with the federal. So while a lot of those monies were used for salaries, we don't know if they were used to create positions or if they were used instead to provide additional compensation for teachers that were taking on additional responsibilities or for one-time supplemental, um, you know, for example, full-time subs, things like that. So it's, it's really hard to know. Um, hard for me to believe that all of those dollars are going to go away and we're not going to see some contraction. Um, but it's, it's possible it will be, it was possible it will be minimal. I think we're really just going to have to wait and see. And the only upside, if there's any contraction, is that puts additional teachers back on the market and there should be a way to put them to, to employ them and put them to use for kids. Okay, one of the other uh, sort of macro trends uh, that seems to be going on is a significantly declining birth rate in Illinois. Um, I looked at the vital statistics page, and since uh, 2010, the number of births per year has dropped almost 20%. Uh, What does that say about the need for teachers in the future, like five, ten years from now? You know, in a world where I think we have historically been understaffed, um, it's hard to know, right? You want it, it, it certainly suggests we're going to have to, and it also depends on where the birth rate's going down, right? Where, and there are going to be some areas that see that more disproportionately, and there you're going to need to see some right sizing. But I also think we had room to improve our staffing, um, at schools not just in teachers, I think you need to think more broadly. One of the things I think is really interesting that comes out in the report that I had not, I probably should have expected, but I don't know that I did, is one of the biggest upticks in hiring uh, over the last period of time, not just COVID-related, is of assistant principals, and that tends to be in deeply underfunded districts. So our Tier 1 districts that have historically been underfunded really added assistant principals. You may say, well, that just sounds like overhead, et cetera, but the truth is you're running a school, you, you really need that. You need that additional administrative support to make sure that kids are getting what they need, that things are running smoothly and well. And that was simply not a position districts financially were in a position to fill. So, and there are other things like that, counselors or nurses or librarians or more paraprofessionals. And so I think we've been underfunded enough that that translates to having been significantly understaffed. And so I think your question is a good one and a fair one. I don't know when we're going to hit that tipping point. You know what I mean? When, when that balance is going to, but I think we're a ways away from that. So if, 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 if you're following me. 
Okay. Okay, and one of the things that comes out in the report, I hope I'm not oversimplifying this, is that uh, the educator workforce is pretty white. Um, we seem to have a hard time, and I, I imagine Illinois is not unique in this, uh, recruiting people of color into the teaching profession. Uh, why is that so hard? Well, first let me just start by saying, again, there's some good news in the report, too. We are doing a better job. Um, the earlier stages of the teacher pipeline uh, are, in fact, getting more diverse. We have increased the diversity of candidates going into teacher preparation programs as a state. And if you look at, as the report does, how do we, this is the diversity of our teacher pool and who we're training here compared to other states around us, we're also doing quite well. So we are getting better. We are being more deliberate. We are trying to um, intentionally increase the diversity of that pipeline. But you're right that it is hard and it is slow going and there is a lot more work ahead of us. I think one of the challenges is that overall affordability of getting a bachelor's degree, one of the biggest drop-offs is just earning a bachelor's degree. Um, and another big one is between when you get licensed and when you get hired. So we're losing a bunch of, of candidates who have, who have been licensed and are not getting hired. Now, whether they're choosing to leave, whether they're leaving the state, we don't know. Um, but there's no question that the other big drop-off that we can and I think are as a state trying to do better on is just more students generally earning a bachelor's degree, which is good for so many reasons. Increasing the diversity of that is going to be good for the profession because the more diversity we have um, in our college-going population, the more diversity we are, net, we are almost naturally going to have going into our teacher education program. So I think the work that the state has been doing to increase its MAP funding, um, the work that's going on right now, actually, to develop a more equitable higher education funding approach, um, you guys will want to cover that when those recommendations come out later this year, I think are all part of a more complex, interconnected strategy as a state that says we want more people getting educated. We want to make sure that that is happening in a diverse way that will naturally support teachers. And then we want some very targeted strategies for improving affordability for all students and specifically in shortage areas and around diversity. And we're doing the good news for, the, for your listeners and for people who read the report. We really are doing those things. The way the state is investing to build the pipeline and to diversify are the right things to do. If you match up our issues with where the state's investing, it's a really nice mesh and it's a really nice fit. So good for the state. Question is, are we going to be able to keep the pressure on as we lose some of those federal funds? And I think that's going to require some will at the local level and the state level. I think we need to be aware of it. And I think we need to really be pushing on it. And one other thing that I hear uh, just anecdotally uh sort of a complaint. Does Illinois make it too hard to get a teacher's license? You know, it's a delicate balance. And it's when I talked earlier about, you know, you want to make it, you want to be sure that when we are licensing teachers and sending them out into classrooms, that they're really ready. This is not, and I say this is a former classroom teacher, it's not a simple job. It's, it requires skill, it requires empathy, it requires preparation. And so you, some amount of rigor is absolutely essential. If this is the most important thing that we do 
for our children is to make sure that they've got a qualified, prepared educator at the front of the classroom. You wouldn't want your state to cut the wrong corners, or at least you wouldn't want the teachers to be cut corners on to be in your children's classroom. So I think it matters that we have what Illinois has done and very thoughtfully is say, what do we really know and expect and, and need our teachers to be ready to do? How do we make sure that they are? And um, I don't think that that's anything that we should back away from or that we should apologize for. And the fact that we've been able to add thousands of additional teachers um, over the last few years tells me that I think we're getting that balance right. Um, so I, I, I don't actually buy that premise. I think what's important is that we make sure that we've got more teachers and more can more people who want to go into the profession, that we make it affordable for them to do so. Um, and then the last thing I'll say is that we, that we support them once they're there, because the other big place that we, our pipeline is leaky is there's way too much turnover in those first five years. Uh, that's true for all teachers. It is especially true for teachers of color, and it is particularly true for black teachers. Um, so I think the last piece of the puzzle is, or an additional piece of the puzzle is, to make sure that there are appropriate supports, that there is real mentoring and induction in place, that there are affinity groups um, for teachers who need that. Again, those are some of the places the state has invested over the last five years. You did see an interesting improvement during COVID. More teachers stayed, more teachers stayed at their school. Um, attrition rates really improved, but then they started to go back up as, uh, as COVID, you know, moves more into the background. So I think that's something we're gonna continue to need to pay attention to and to invest in both at the district level, but as a state. Uh, so what sort of policy recommendations uh, should come out of this report? Well, I think there are a few. I mean, one is that I think the need to um, continue to fund the evidence-based formula is critical because those are the dollars that districts can use the most effectively for long-term staffing decisions and or to make sure that the compensation and the, you know, the, the structures at schools are going to be desirable. They can be attractive, right, um, to both paraprofessionals, administrators, and teachers. So at a, at a, foundational level, I think that's been the single most important thing we've been doing as a state. We're seeing the positive effects of that out in the districts, and I think we want to maintain that. And we don't always equate basic school funding with um, a positive uptick in staffing, but it's, it's obviously 85% of most school and district budgets are staffing. So when we do a better job funding, we see positive effects there. Two, I think the state very sensibly, and I think this shows throughout the report, has really tried to invest in where it can. There's there's what districts need to do, why you need the evidence-based formula, and then there's things that only work the most effectively at the state level. And so some of the strategies the state has used to invest in the um, ways of engaging kids in middle school and high school. There is really interesting research that shows that kids express interest in being teachers, early on are the most likely to make it into classrooms and the most likely to stay there. So it's really a smart thing for the state to um, try to support that. And so they have invested in Educators Rising, which is a curriculum and you know it, you can create extracurriculars, but also um, classroom-based work to bring young kids in. Career and technical education pathways, you can earn an endorsement into education in high school. 
We've now connected certain scholarships so that if you get that pathways, education pathways endorsement on your high school diploma, you get more financial aid and earlier you get more scholarship support um, to go into teaching. Those are the kinds of state level investments that strengthen the pipeline that make the whole process more affordable for teachers. And what's nice is they've really been good about trying to target that around high need areas, bilingual instruction, special ed candidates, and candidates of color. Because one of the critical issues here, I think, is that we are not as diverse as a workforce as we are as a student population. Research is telling us that matters, that we increase that, and that when we're a more diverse teacher pipeline, really everybody benefits, but particularly students of color. Um, and so the fact that the state has been making some of those investments at the state level, I think is really smart. I think the challenge is going to be what can the state continue to do as these federal funds start to disappear. And that's, again, where I think this data that we're trying to put out there and other areas of study are going to be really important for the state so that it can prioritize um, sensibly and well. Robin Staines, president of Advance Illinois. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your coverage of, the, of this issue. That was Robin Staines, president of the education advocacy group Advance Illinois. And this has been Capital Cast. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation with significant funding from the Robert McCormick Foundation. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying thank you for listening.